0: Father, we uh, come before you this morning and we so long to feel that presence of Jesus, to experience him here this morning. So I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be truly pleasing in your sight, that my words would be your words, that it could just be you and us here now. In Jesus' name, amen. I said earlier, we're in the fourth week of this series where we've been looking at this idea of becoming eager conversationalists and speaking of Jesus eagerly. And to do that, we've used this book, 42 Seconds, by a man named Carl Medeiros, who actually him and his assistant went through the conversations of Jesus, looking at them and cataloging them and sort of timing them, and came out to be an average, they figured, of about 42 seconds. Now, he did admit What we see in Scripture is probably a synopsis of what was said in a lot of those cases, but that is what we have. And so we have these little 42-second snippets of Jesus having regular, everyday conversations and turning those everyday conversations into powerful moments for the people that he was engaging with. And one of the things that he noticed about Jesus in these conversations was that he was present. Not that he was just there physically in their presence, but he was truly present, He was conscious. He was all there, and they recognized it. I love this definition of what it means to be present. Being present means being fully conscious of the moment and free from the noise of the internal dialogue. Let me read that again. Being present means being fully conscious of the moment and free from the noise of the internal dialogue. That describes Jesus fully conscious. When you read of all these interactions, of all these conversations that he had with everyone, everyone he met, you get the impression and you see the picture of Jesus being fully conscious. Seeing the person standing before them and having a conversation with people who saw that in Jesus, who felt that in Jesus— people who had been dismissed their entire life, like the leper, like the bleeding woman, like children, like tax collectors, people who weren't spoken to, weren't talked to, had this Jewish rabbi standing in front of them and seeing them. And they felt it, that Jesus saw them because Jesus was present. And it was therapeutic, to have someone actually see me and hear me, some for the first time in their entire lives. For others, it wasn't therapeutic, but maybe a little bit disconcerting. For others, they had spent their lives putting up this facade, painting this picture of themselves that really wasn't true to them on the inside. But when they encountered Jesus, they encountered someone who could see past the facade. The person standing in front of them, Jesus, saw through this masquerade, and they felt it, and it was disconcerting. But the one thing you see in all of these conversations, Jesus was fully present, and it had an impact. With everyone Jesus encountered, he was present. But not just with everyone, but also in every circumstance, Jesus was fully there in one of the most trying circumstances of his life, hanging on a cross, Jesus is still fully present. Do you remember the conversation? It's recorded in Luke's gospel where the thief on the cross next to him says, Jesus, would you remember me today when you come into your kingdom? I don't know about you, but if that were me, I'd say, like, remember you? Why don't you remember me? I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve this. See, oftentimes in those distractions, in those times of distractions, in those times of circumstances like that, we become more focused on ourselves and we lose sight of others. And as a result, we're not fully present because we're focused on ourselves, but not Jesus. He turns to the thief and he says this, "'Truly, I tell you, "'today you will be with me in paradise.'" Some of the last words Jesus spoke in his life were concerned with this thief, this robber being crucified with him. Jesus was always other-centered. He was always present, and it changed the world. Now, sadly, if you ask the world today to describe Christians, fully present probably doesn't make the list at least not in this way. What makes the list are things like this, judgmental. 90% of 16 to 29-year-olds in the United States believe present-day Christianity to be judgmental. Not just those outside the church. 90% of all 16 to 29-year-olds believe those that Christianity is judgmental. Those inside the church see it as well. Isn't there a better way? Can we not change this perception? I'd like you to watch this and and hear from a great American philosopher. Watch this.
1: Hmm. Mate, what do I need to win? Two
0: triple 20s and a bullseye.
1: <laughs> Good luck. Hmm. You know, Rupert, Guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day I was driving my little boy to school and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me, <sighs> who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. You know, Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. The great
0: American philosopher Ted Lasso. but there's a lot of truth to what he says. Do you hear what he said? He said if they were curious, they would have asked questions. But they're not curious, they're judgmental. And therefore they don't ask questions because they're constantly listening to that dialogue that's running in their heads, judging everything and everyone around them. Why would you ask questions that you've already answered in your own head? That's what being judgmental is. It's disregarding the people around you and not being curious, not asking questions. If we're going to change this perception about Christianity in the United States and in our communities and oftentimes within our families, we need to be curious. We need to find that little kid that was in us when we were younger who asked why at nausea. And we need to be curious. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And if you do not accept the kingdom as these little children, then you can't enter it. We need to be curious of Jesus. We need to be curious of him, and we need to be curious of the world around us. Stop being so judgmental and ask better questions. Jesus was gifted at that. You know, in his book, the question is Jesus. Mark Copenhaver asks, or Martin Copenhaver says Jesus asked 307 questions as recorded in the Gospels. Now, again, he probably asked way more questions than that. But in the Gospels, 307 questions of Jesus are recorded. You want to take a guess how many people ask of him? 183. Here, the author of life is in their midst, and you would think you would ask a whole lot more questions of him than he would ask of you. And so this morning, I want us to take a book, our page out of Jesus' book. In this book, Martin asks a great question. Are you learning new things from and about Jesus? See, we learn a lot of things about Jesus. We can recite verses, we can tell you chapter and verse, but are we learning from him? Are we curious of him and how he did things and how he interact with people so it would change the way we actually interact with people? What can we learn from him this morning? And one of the things we can learn is that he asked questions. He asked really good questions. And here's the thing about Jesus. He didn't ask questions because he was curious. No, he asked questions because he wanted the people around him to be curious. And ask better questions and stop being so judgmental and to see the person standing in front of them. Judy Dabler, a, a psychologist and a, and a conciliation expert, says this the best questions are rooted in a true desire to know and to understand and to promote increasing love in the relationship. Do you see that other centeredness in that definition? This is such a Jesus way of doing things. So concerned with the other in the conversation, furthering the relationship. He wasn't interested in informing, he was interested really in transforming the hearts and minds of those people that encountered him. And in the story that you heard Erica read just a little bit earlier, you see that. You see that when you're curious. And when you, we start asking questions of the text, you see Jesus seeing this man Simon invited into Simon's home, a Pharisee. Jesus goes and has dinner with him. And in the middle of this evening, Jesus asked this question of Simon. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Why do you think he asked that question? Because apparently Simon didn't see her. Not that he didn't see her physically in the room. He didn't see her. What did he see? The text tells us this is what he saw. It says, when Pharisee had invited him and saw this, he said to himself, if this were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. See, Simon didn't see her. Simon saw a sinner. That internal dialogue that had been going in his head when she walked into the room immediately judged her as unworthy to be there, unworthy to be in the presence and to be touching this man. Immediately, Simon is judging her, and Jesus sees it. And so he asked him, Do you see this woman? Because he knew he hadn't. Not only that, Simon didn't see Jesus either. Remember what he just said? If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner, basically saying, This man is no prophet, for if he were, he wouldn't let a woman like this touch his feet. So he can't be any kind of prophet. Do you hear the internal dialogue going on within Simon, judging Jesus and this woman? And so what does Jesus do? He does the kind thing both for the woman and for Simon. And so he tells them this parable about these two people that owed this debt, one larger than the other, and the, the man who's owed the debt forgives the debt of both people. And he asked the question, so who would love him more? And he says, well, I guess the one who had the bigger debt. He says, ah, now you know what I'm talking about. He said, this is the problem. He says, those who have been forgiven a lot, you can tell it by their love. But those who have been forgiven little, you can tell that by their love too. See, the woman knew that she was a sinner. She didn't need Simon telling her that she was a sinner. She knew because she heard that every day of her life. What she needed was exactly what Jesus gave her, his presence. He saw her. It says she wept at his feet. She wet his feet with her tears. She kissed his feet. She rubbed his feet with her hair. And she poured perfume on his feet. The whole while, people are looking at her with, you can imagine the looks, and she heard the whispers. But yet Jesus bends down to her at the end of this conversation, and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This popular Jewish rabbi who had been invited into this Pharisee's house, who had heard all the things that were being said about her, bends down and looks at her in the face and says, I see you. Stop listening to that internal dialogue in your head that says you're not worthy, because I see you. And he says to Simon, I see you too, Simon. I see exactly what you're thinking but what you don't understand is that she understands she's a sinner and you don't. And that's the kindest thing Jesus could do for him, was to show him his judgment. Jesus asks the best questions. Not because he's curious, because he wants us to be curious about him, about ourselves and about the world. You know what? And it worked. You see verse 49? Verse 49. Said the other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who forgives sins? The best question. Now that's the question they should have been asking. Not who does he think he is or what kind of prophet is he, but who is this man who does these things? See, when we are curious, when we are curious and seek after Jesus. He reveals himself to us, and he reveals the truth in the world around us. If we go to him and we see ourselves in this story, which we should, we're the woman. We're the woman, and Jesus is saying to all of us this morning, I see you. You are worthy in my eyes, and I love you deeply. Stop listening to that dialogue in your head that says you're not worthy. But we're also Simon. Because at the same time, we're judging the world around us. And Jesus says, I see you too. I see you too, and I love you too. And I need you to be a little bit more curious and not so judgmental. I need you to be present in the lives of the people around you. I need you to be present. And He's asking us this morning do you see this woman? Do you see the person standing before you? Do you see that man at work? Do you see that group of people over there? Do you see them as I see them, as my creation, deeply loved, created in my image, given intrinsic worth? Do you see them? Do you see them? But see, here's another truth. So often we don't because there's a cost to being present, to seeing others. The cost is we have to go beyond ourselves. We have to go beyond our assumptions, beyond our plan, beyond our schedule, beyond our stereotypes. We need to go beyond ourselves and get out of our head and start being curious. But that comes at a cost. It comes at a sacrifice. We must give up our plans. We must give up our agenda. But I would say if we're truly going to be curious, we need to develop a curiosity about God, about what God is up to. If we're going to truly be present like Jesus and curious like Jesus, we need to be curious about what God is up to. Remember, we read that God is working. He's always working. And that requires us to be present with him, to be curious of him. And there's a beautiful picture of that in a 17th century friar in the Paris Archdiocese. His name was Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence spent 62 years in a monastery washing dishes for most of those years. But yet people from the outside would seek him out for guidance, spiritual guidance. One of the monsignors from the Archdiocese in Paris used to seek him out regularly and recorded those conversations and kept his letters and his maxims, and he put that into a book, that you can buy today, called The Practice of the Presence of God. And in that book, he records this one session with Brother Lawrence. He says, he said, we ought to relate to God in the greatest simplicity, speaking to him frankly and plainly, and imploring his assistance in our affairs as they happen. See, a lot of times we're looking for that message We're looking for that moment. We're looking for that one piece of Scripture that will carry us through the day. And Brother Lawrence is saying, those are all good things. But how about being present with God in all things as they happen? Asking Jesus, how should I speak? What should I say? What would you have me do in this circumstance? Who would you have me speak to How would you have me speak to them? Throughout this book, you see over and over again, just in the everyday happenings of life, that's the way he conducted himself. And he said, God never failed to grant help. That's the promise of Scripture. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. The door will be open to you. James says, you don't have because you don't ask. Simply, every day, in the everyday happenings of life, we need to be curious of God because, again, God is working. He is always working. So, if we're going to truly change that perception in the modern day mind, we need to be curious. We need to be curious, not judgmental. And we need to ask kind questions that are other centered, seeing the person standing before us, the creation of God. And finally, we need to be present if we're truly going to change the world, we need to be present with God and with the people in our lives. We need to be fully present. And so this is my prayer for you, as recorded by Paul in his letter to the Philippians, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight as you experience the presence of God and as you experience the people around you.